This is an ABC podcast. Morena, Nissan Bolivinaka, and good morning. This is Pacific Beat. I'm your host, Aggie Dubong, on ABC Radio Australia. Pacific Beat comes to you from the lands of the Boonarong and Rwandji peoples of the Kulin Nation. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Today on the show, we've got more coverage from PNG. How are the businesses coping from the recent riots and looting? Also, former PNG Prime Minister Peter O'Neill rejects claims of fueling the riots. And West Papua are being urged to boycott the upcoming elections. For more of any of these stories, simply stay tuned. I'm Aggie Dubal and this is Pacific Beat. Firstly, as Papua New Guinean businesses try to recover from last week's riots, the cost of the damage is in the hundreds of millions. But there's concern some of the damage won't be covered by insurance. Shop owners are asking the government to step in, saying the situation should be treated like a natural disaster. Marion Farr reports. It was something no business could have prepared for. We lost four supermarkets, two completely burned, one partial event and one totally ransacked, so four supermarkets. Last week, a strike over a payroll error in Papua New Guinea escalated into widespread civil unrest. Shops were looted and burnt, goods were stolen and more than 20 lives were lost. Navin Raju is the CEO of one of the largest business entities in the country, CPL Group, and one of the worst hit in the riots. In all supermarkets, they totally cleaned out of everything that was in the shop. The company has lost millions of kina in stock and damaged property across their supermarkets, pharmacies and other retail outlets. But as he and others look to rebuild, they may have another battle on their hands, one that involves insurance companies. This is going to be a difficult road ahead. Uh, We'll be dealing with the insurance companies in good faith to see what the outcome will be. But at the moment, I, I cannot say. I know what the outlook will be. A number of affected businesses in PNG say their insurance doesn't provide cover for civil unrest. Mr Raju says the terms aren't totally clear. We've started those discussions and uh, we obviously don't have a clear idea of what is going to be covered and what isn't. Mohammed Chan Mia is the National Operations Manager for Deshbesh, a leading supermarket retailer. His company is also in talks with insurance providers. Insurance company, they will support, but that's not enough. He says their insurance cover is capped, so there's a limit to how much the company will get back. We need support from government to assist to us, then we can recover soon. Otherwise, not possible. It's a call echoed by Navin Raju from CPL. This whole um, incident's got huge cash flow implications for businesses like us because we didn't plan for it. He says the longer his businesses are out of action, the bigger the impact on the community. There's about 10,000 customers that we monthly service in our clinics and pharmacies across those four shops. Um, you know, we provide primary care for these patients and that services are no longer there. Mahalopa Laval is an economics lecturer at the University of Papua New Guinea. He says while civil unrest may not be covered by insurers in PNG, things will need to be worked out on a case-by-case basis and businesses may be able to recoup some costs. Property is insured, vehicles are insured and I think inventory is insured as well. But as to the cause, that's yet to be determined, but I'm pretty sure at least for property they should be insured. But he says the road to recovery won't be quick.
longer term, we're going to see a lot of unemployment from particularly the jobs that have been lost to the businesses um, that were attacked. We'll see a fall in tax revenue, particularly wages and salary taxes, plus company income taxes. We're going to see um, prices rise. And that was University of Papua New Guinea economics lecturer Mahalopa Laville ending that report by Marion Farr. And for more on this, we're joined now by Ian Clough, chairman of the Brian Bell Group, another of PNG's major retailers. And with that, I say welcome to the programme. Good morning. Thank you for talking to me. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, Ian. I mean, firstly, how is your company coping, uh, coping with the fallout from last week's unrest? Look, I need to start by saying that uh, we're a 66-year-old Papua New Guinea business and through that 66-year history, we've dealt with a number of challenges that have been, you know, um, as almost as significant as this and we've overcome those and built back better uh, each of those times. So while we dealt with the, the challenges of last Wednesday and Thursday, um, primarily ensuring that our team was set, uh, safe, our focus is quickly turn towards our recovery and rebuild program. So in terms of how we're, how we're dealing with it, we've got 1,300 team members that are galvanised around the fact that we need to quickly get back to business and uh, and quickly get back to looking after our, our customers and our communities. So there's certainly a, a, a strong resolve amongst our team. Absolutely. Ian, are you aware of any staff or anyone that was actually injured during this time? No, thankfully, uh, all of our team members are safe and well. Uh, you know, it was quite a harrowing situa- situations for our team members out there at our Girahu warehouse on the day. But thankfully, they were able to, uh, um, you know, escape the chaos uh, that ensued and everyone is safe and well, other than, you know, we're providing some support to those that have, uh, you know, experienced some fairly significant trauma and uh, and ensuring that from a mental health perspective that they're all uh, well and, uh, and and safe. Were you actually witness to any of the riots and the looting that happened last week? Well, we uh, we have our head office in Baroko in Port Moresby, and uh, early on in the in the activity, um, we we saw some early attempts to you know breach properties nearby. But thankfully, uh, you know, with security forces and and responses by those that we partner with, we saw. Uh, we, we saw our properties and those around us protected. Um, and, you know, the reports that were coming in, I mean, social media was awash with all of the videos and, uh, and, and calls about what was going on. And since that, since that day, uh, there's been no shortage of footage and uh, things circulating for everyone to see what took place. But mm. uh, personally, uh, I was fortunate that, uh, you know, with my team, we're, we, were, we were all safe and, and out of harm's way. Yeah, great to hear though, Ian. I'm wondering, I can only imagine the damage that has happened, but can you just give us uh, an an insight to what type of damage has happened to, I suppose, um, your businesses? Yeah, so we're very fortunate, I think, in the scheme of uh, the damage that uh businesses have seen we we despite the quantum of uh you know the impact we were very fortunate by comparison we had one side out of our 22 across across the country that were was impacted and so while it's a significant part of our business it was one side and so there were many other companies and businesses that were impacted more heavily than we were um if you talk about our particular situation and this is where you know i know you're talking about insurances this is where it's important that I'm 
you know, delicate and careful so that there's no misunderstanding. While there may have been, you know, um, a number of things going on in Port Moresby on that day, the situation in relation to our business was a little different, you know. There were opportunists that uh, chose to uh, break into our site uh, and, you know, use means to access our site that was very secure uh, and, you know, breach our perimeter once that took place they uh you know attempted to steal product and spread the word that uh, the site was um breached and subsequently uh people from um all over the the suburb came and started looting the 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 building and uh and inevitably uh, when that starts to take hold uh, it becomes quite significant we ended up uh having uh, a fire in different parts of our uh, warehouse and and as a result of that fire the fire systems couldn't uh couldn't compete with the size of the fire in the end and the building was lost and mm. so we're talking 16,300 square meters of warehouse space this isn't you know a tiny shed this is you can see this from your airplane as you fly into Port Moresby and so a significant um infrastructure and uh and and all started from a break in so sorry to hear about that, uh, Ian. I, I can only imagine, of course, the damage that has uh, come out of this. So I'm wondering, how long do you anticipate then uh, that it's going to take to, to rebuild? Um, and do you, in any essence, expect to maybe lay off any staff? Well, let's let's start with the last question first. There will be no staff. Well, we, we call them team members. Apologies, it's an internal lingo. But mm. uh, there will be no team members that will be uh, negatively affected by this situation uh, from from an employment perspective. Of course, there's challenges with those team members uh, with their own personal situations, but they're all maintaining employment. We're currently working through redeployment programs where, uh, you know, 140 team members are going to be redeployed into other parts of our business. But that said, much of that is going to be short term. We've already secured warehouse space temporarily to allow us to redeploy product that uh, is inbound already here on the wharf and um, in manufacture that will help recover our business very, very quickly. Um, So in terms of how quickly and should we the, the second question is absolutely. We're, you know, we've been here for 66 years. We are part of Papua New Guinea. We're 100% Papua New Guinea owned. Of course, we're going to think about how we build back and what we do differently to ensure that uh, if this was to happen again, we're, we're better protected. But it's important that I say that, you know, while Papua New Guinea has suffered the, the challenges over many years of, you know, um, situations similar to this, the events of the 10th of January were unprecedented. This was uh, a level of um, uh, chaos and activity that I've never seen. And sadly, the level of destruction is such that uh, it was a level that I'd never seen either. But uh, we'll build back better. We absolutely will uh, build back a new warehouse. It will take us some 12 to 18 months to be able to do that because, you know, you're talking of uh, uh, talking of a building that has the size and scale that it does. It takes some time to get that, that done. Uh, but in the meantime, we're already talking about how we maintain operations as normally as we possibly can. Yeah, Ian, uh, with the recovery then and the rebuilding, is, is there any need or help from the PNG government? Well, as such, there hasn't. There's certainly been plenty of conversation, but at this stage, uh, that hasn't been, uh, you know, firmed up. The, there are conversations taking place in the next couple of days between peak industry bodies uh, and the PNG government to understand what support is available and what 
um, you know, capacity the government has to support. It's important. This is a natural – not sorry, this is not a natural disaster, but it is a disaster that has long-term economic uh, impacts for PNG. And I heard uh, previous speakers on the call uh, on the radio talking about uh, the economic uh, damage, the, you know, the tax revenue that's lost. All of these things are a consideration for government that when they think about what levels of support that they can provide, they need to be thinking long-term about uh, what the outcomes for Papua New Guinea are if all of those businesses that are affected aren't supported appropriately. Thank you for that. Well, the other thing is we've heard stories about uh, some of the looters uh, wanting to return stolen uh, goods to Brian Bell stores. Is there any way those goods could possibly then be resold? Look, the the return of goods is, uh, you know, is a complex part of the problem. So while there's a, a high level of goodwill and uh, there's been support from the police and defence force to recover items, you know, that creates a second complexity as, you know, we deal to the volume of product that is starting to come back. You can imagine when you've got a, a warehouse space of 16,000 square metres over nine metres high, there's a lot of product in there. And so if even a small portion of that product is starting to come back, that poses a significant challenge for us. But our team are working through that with the goods that are coming back. Sadly, much of the items uh, or many of the items that are returning are, you know, are damaged or in a condition that makes them um, unsaleable. And so we just need to spend some time now assessing the each of the items that is coming back and whether or not they have the capacity to be either sold, safely donated, or, or, or what else we can do with those items. But uh, the, there has been an overwhelming uh, amount of product return. And, and sadly, the, you know, it, it, it builds the challenge around if it just wasn't taken in the first place, we wouldn't, have this, we wouldn't have this challenge. Yeah, well, I mean, with the return of those goods, do you think that demonstrates at least a level of remorse in the community about what's happened? The, you know, there is a high level of remorse in the community and we're very grateful and humbled by the um, support from the community. I mean, we're, we're a part of PNG. We have been for, as I said earlier, 66 years. And for many of those uh, out in the community, they share our um, devastation and, and our loss. And so there are families that have found out other family members were involved and they've made those family members return items. We've found, uh, you know, a number of communities that are disappointed by uh, others within their communities and they've worked to get the goods back. And so we're, you know, we're very grateful and humbled again by by those sentiments. The police have done a good job going door to door and, uh, um, you know, asking for goods to be returned. We're not involved in any of that police activity uh, as a business, but we're seeing all of that uh, um, or the responses from that activity. And so uh, I would say that there's a very high proportion of goodwill and, and positive sentiment. And then there's an element of uh, the work that the police and uh, others are doing to, you know, restore law, law and order and return things where they shouldn't have been taken. Yeah, but can I ask, Ian, you know, in the likelihood of not being able to recover some of these goods, would you be laying charges? All of those, you know, we, we'll, we've filed uh, police statements and we, we're still in the process of finalising all of that, but uh, we we will leave all of the police activity to those in the in the law enforcement agencies to deal to. It's it's not our business. We, uh, we've made uh, a position in terms of we will file the appropriate uh, paperwork and documents and, 
uh, etc. But we're we're not uh, we're not chasing people down and ensuring uh, uh, people face the courts. That's for the police to do. Yeah, um, I do want to ask though, and this is probably more of a personal question: Is the how do you feel? Uh, do you feel safe or unsafe um, after these events that have happened? Look, I think it's important. I'm a I'm a Papua New Guinean. I was born and raised in Papua New Guinea. Uh, I'm I'm a proud Papua New Guinean. Probably a little less proud on Wednesday than I was uh, every other day before that. But uh, you know, I don't feel unsafe. This is uh, this is the home I grew up in. And uh, while Wednesday was an unsafe situation for the people of Port Moresby, right now I don't feel unsafe, and I haven't before. And uh, and and I know that people from outside Papua New Guinea may not necessarily understand that there are places in the world that you go in the safest of cities that are, are unsafe. And while we saw unprecedented uh, behaviour there last week, um, life has returned to reasonably normal situations in Port Moresby now. Of course, we take precautions like everyone does, but uh, to answer your question in a long-winded way, I don't feel unsafe in Port Moresby, no. That's good to hear. And, of course, if you did have a message uh, for your people of PNG, what would it be this morning? Well, look, uh, without thinking too hard about it, uh, you know, the Brian Bell business is is all about supporting the Papua New Guinean community. And what we were, you know, bitterly disappointed by the behaviour of a minority on Wednesday, the greedy minority uh, did significant damage to Papua New Guinea's reputation and, and, and uh you know, to the infrastructure, and it will take years to recover from this. And I guess my message is that we can't take uh, away from the majority of good Papua New Guineans who want to see the the country successful, want to see their families, uh, you know, in a good place. And and we just all need to work hard to restore confidence in the community. We need to give, you know, continue to give back to the communities that have given so much to us. And and I don't want to let the um, you know, the actions and the senseless actions of a greedy minority change that for the majority of Papua New Guineans. So that's why our resolve and our focus remains as it is, strongly on on building back better. Sounds beautiful. Thank you very much, Ian, for your time this morning. We wish you well in terms of recovery and just glad to know that you guys are all safe. Thank you, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. No worries. That, of course, is Ian Clough, Chairman of the Brian Bell Group. Now back to the fallout from the riots in Port Moresby last week. The former Prime Minister Peter O'Neill has rejected insinuations he was involved in stoking the violence. The current PM, James Marape and others have claimed that there was a political element to the destruction, seen by many to be directed at his predecessor, Mr O'Neill. But Mr O'Neill has told ABC's 7.30 programme he was in no way involved. He says a protest by police and other public servants over an unexpected pay cut was the spark that ignited underlying tensions over high employment and cost of living pressure. We all know that uh, in the last budget that was passed in uh, in November 2023, there were certain changes to the tax regime uh, that uh, governs the salaries and wages tax. And part of that uh, changes were now started to be implemented in, in 2024. Uh, of course, the government is uh, is finding excuses, but it really needs to get back to Parliament and, and make those changes to try and uh, assist Papua New Guineans who are struggling to put food on the table. Well, if it was a stuff up, as the government says, and it's corrected in the next pay slips that people get, 
Does the issue go away? As I said, no one in uh, the country believes them. And unfortunately, this situation where $120 plus, as you say, of the uh, uh, the salaries that were missed out by public servants is quite a significant amount of money for average Papua New Guinean families. And that is uh, enough for them to buy basic goods so that they can feed their families. And, and this is about cost of uh, living pressures uh, that uh, Papua New Guinean families are facing today. And as a result of the frustrations that there, it has been building up because of lack of income, lack of um, employment, huge unemployment problem in the country, and huge social issues in the country has led to this. And, uh, and as a result, uh, we had an unfortunate situation of uh, 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 law and order issue and looting and violence in the country. There have been suggestions in PNG, including from uh, Prime Minister Marape, that there was an organised, possibly political element to the rioting and looting. Was he talking about you? Well, Mr Marape needs to check his own thinking. Uh, nobody can organise mums and dads struggling mothers and, 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 and dads who are going into shops uh, as a result of security forces and uh, both the police and the uh, and the army withdrawing, uh, uh, attending to their work and their services has resulted into this looting. Uh, yes, go to produce evidence that there was some political influence over it, but you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, one can imagine how one can organize that kind of uh, uh, looting and, and violence uh, for political purposes. So to clarify, were you in any way involved in organising those rights? Absolutely not. You've questioned the use of Australian taxpayer funds to support Mr Marape's government. What exactly is your allegation? Well, you know... Uh my government and, of course, uh, the government before that of the uh, uh, Somari government, uh, the Australian government has never supported direct funding to our budget. Without uh, this direct funding has now been given to Marape over the last few years, started from uh, Scott Morrison government to now Albanese government, without any strange attempts. We have a, a huge corruption problem in this country and, of course, the mismanagement of public funds in the country. As a result of that, uh, of course, the funds that are given by Australian taxpayers are used for political purposes and mismanaged in the country. And uh, the evidence is very clear by many instances. And one, for example, is that the recently uh, the, some of the contractors of the, uh, the cronies of the government were paid large sums of money uh, at, at the very early stage of the budget process this year. With respect, though, uh, Mr O'Neill, those funds were loans which started during the period of COVID and uh, as far as the strings attached uh, were concerned, they were done in conjunction with the IMF, which, as I understand it, is monitoring the use of those funds. So how does that stack up with the uh, claims that it's just being funnelled into um, cronies? Even if they were loans, they are given to the government to use it to support the budget. And that means that they can expend the money at their pleasure. It is not tied to a project or infrastructure development or a uh, hospital or school. And, and this is where the problem is, that uh, there, are, there are loans given without any conditions. And the government of Papua New Guinea, especially Marape, is spending money for political purposes. 
And I don't think that the Australian taxpayer wants that to uh, happen in this country. So if you were Prime Minister again, would you stop receiving those sorts of funds or you would not seek any further funds of, those, of that nature? Uh, I have always been a proponent of uh, uh, encouraging Australia to set up a, a development fund. And from what I understand, they have done so now. And I, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Uh, we will certainly, of course, borrow from that fund, but it must be tied to projects. It's not going to be uh, taken up by government, where government can spend it at, any, at, at its pleasure, where it's unaccounted for. There's an 18-month grace period after an election preventing a vote of no confidence in PNG. In Mr Marape's case, that expires next month. Would you be pushing for a no confidence vote? And whoever pushes one, would you put yourself forward as a leader? Well, those options are available and provided for by the constitution that uh, gives us an ability to have checks and balance in our political process. But the vote of no confidence is a, is a matter in which uh, the parliament can move. And uh, of course, that uh, grace period uh, expires on the 9th of February and parliament resumes on the 13th of February. And uh, it's entirely up to the leaders. Uh, whether I put my end up as an alternate prime minister or not, uh, it's up to the the members of parliament and uh, we will continue to have those discussions. Well, uh, you're facing criminal charges over the Royal Commission findings. You gave false evidence uh, in a, over a multi-million dollar government loan uh, loss on an investment deal. Would this hinder your chances of returning to the Prime Ministership? Well, as you know that uh, the government has uh, spent uh, millions and millions, I think it's over 50 million kina uh, worth of uh, funds to try and put up a commission of inquiry. Uh, largely uh, the commissioners and uh, largely controlled by uh, Australian professionals who have uh, carried out very uh, extensive uh, research and of course uh, 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 conducted the commission of inquiry which found nothing wrong with the uh, loan arrangements that we got from you. BS to fund a purchase of shares in a publicly listed Australian company. Now, the uh, reference you're making to criminal charges, of course, uh, since uh, living, living the Prime Minister's office in uh, July, in, in, in 2019, I have been subject of many charges and I have, uh, in fact, uh, won every one of them. There is no merit to the criminal charges. It is politically motivated and I intend to defend myself, uh, which I'm doing so in court. So uh, I have what, I'm a great believer in our judiciary system and uh, they will uh, make the right decisions uh, after the court's, court hearing. And that is a former Prime Minister, Peter O'Neill, speaking to Laura Tingle on 7.30. Look, stay tuned, because up next is your news wrap with producer Liam Fox here on Pacific Beat. Hi, I'm Sayuli Salamasino von Reiki, and I invite you to come with me to explore how our Pacific cultures have evolved with the changing times in a new show, Culture Compass. You'll meet people who are passionate about keeping traditions alive, passing them down to the next generation while adapting old ways to the present. Culture Compass, Tuesdays at 9am PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Welcome back to Pacific Beat. I'm your host, Aggie Dubois, and yes, it is that time where we head around the region just to get the latest, and it's been brought to you by our producer, Liam Fox. With that, I say good morning, sir. 
Good morning, Aggie. Yeah, I appreciate your time this morning. Uh, there is actually big news that have come out of Nauru. Uh, the country has decided to ditch diplomatic relations with Taiwan. Yes, that's right. Um, the government announced on its Facebook page that it's going to move to the One China principle, which recognises the People's Republic of China as the sole legal government representative uh, representing the whole of China. It will no longer represent uh, see Taiwan as a separate country, but an inalienable part of China's territory and sever diplomatic relations with uh, Taiwan. Uh, the Facebook post from the Nauru government says it, uh, this decision does not affect relations with other countries. Perhaps that's uh, uh, preempting any concerns countries like Australia, the US uh, and New Zealand might have. Um, at this move, uh, they are, of course, very uh, alarmed when the Solomon Islands announced a similar move a couple of years ago and signed uh, a security agreement with uh, China. Uh, the Nauru government says that the president, David Adiang, will make a further statement on this at the next sitting of parliament and also in a address, an address to the nation. Now, this, of course, is uh, very significant timing. It was only over the weekend that Taiwan Taiwan held its uh, democratic elections. The people in Taiwan chose to re-elect a very pro-independent government, uh, not uh, the opposition which was seeking to uh, reunite, not reunite, that's too strong a word, but rejuvenate uh, relations with uh, China, move closer to China. Instead, the people elected a pro-independence government, re-elected them, and this announcement has been made less than 48 hours after that happened. The government of Taiwan, according to the Guardian newspaper, is uh, very upset at this announcement and uh, has quoted an official as saying that uh, China timed this for maximum impact after the elections in Taiwan. And it's curious for a number of reasons. Only in October last year, the previous president, Russ Kun, uh, travelled to Taiwan. He and his wife were greeted with great fanfare. And here we are, just a matter of months away. Uh, this switch has been made under the new president, uh, David Adiang. Um, the Guardian, though, does note that Taiwan, uh, sorry, Nauru has switched diplomatic relations between China and Taiwan several times in the past. This also, this decision also leaves Taiwan with fewer formal diplomatic allies in the world, only 12 these days. And in the Pacific, there are only three countries that recognize Taiwan over China. They are Marshall Islands, Palau and Tuvalu. It's a bit crazy, eh? Politics. <laughs> and uh, it is obviously a significant move for uh, Nauru. So I look forward to uh, the statement from President David Adiang. Um, we head to Fiji, though, uh, Liam. Police have made one of the country's biggest drug busts. Yes, we've known for some time that uh, methamphetamines, or speed as it's commonly known, is a big problem in Fiji and getting bigger and bigger over the last few years. Uh, now, uh, police have made one of the biggest drug busts in the country's history. They've found three tonnes of methamphetamine in a vacant house in Nandi. It was wrapped 
individually in brown taped packages, um, a, a huge amount of methamphetamines. Uh, the Home Affairs Minister, Pio Tikondundua, according to FBC News, however, believes that the, uh, the drugs were bound for an overseas market, that uh, essentially that Fiji was being used as some kind of transshipment point or potentially being produced in Fiji and then being uh, uh, moved overseas. Um, Fiji Village, another local outlet, it's reporting that police are investigating claims that uh, certain pharmaceutical companies, a fumigation company, and prominent figures and officials may be involved, and police are asking the public that if they have any information regarding those claims to come forward. But yeah, a massive drug bust and and an indication that that uh, methamphetamines problem in Fiji is uh, getting worse. Yeah, I saw those pictures. Uh, That was a lot of drugs, my goodness. Now look, amid the carnage in Port Moresby after last week's riots, I know there is some good news for affected businesses. Uh, The provincial government says it will provide some tax relief. Yes, we heard, of course, earlier in the show that uh, affected businesses were concerned about their insurance coverage, that uh, this incident is is considered by some insurance companies as uh, civic unrest, uh, not considered a natural disaster, so therefore not covered. The governor of Port Moresby, or the National Capital District, as it's formerly known, Powers Parkop, has said he will look to provide some relief to affected businesses that will come in the effect in the form of reduced goods and services taxes and land taxes. Uh, he says they're going to review the level of those taxes uh, to affected businesses and reduce them and provide some relief. Uh, he says he's also spoken to the Prime Minister and Treasurer to ask for direct financial support for affected businesses as well. That's awesome. Always good to end off some good news there. Um, appreciate your time this morning, Liam. My pleasure. In about a month's time, the world's third largest democracy will head to the polls to elect a new president. Indonesia is home to over 200 million eligible voters, and the outcome will have significant implications for close neighbours in the Pacific. But indigenous people in West Papua are being urged to boycott the election. So to understand more, we're joined by the newly elected president of the United Liberation Movement for West Papua. It's Benny Wenda. With that, I say welcome to the programme. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Benny. I mean, why are you urging West Papuans to boycott the election? Yes. Uh, why we are boycotting uh, this Indonesia election? Because we never been part of Indonesia since 1960. We've been, uh, you know, colonized by Indonesia. So we are not going to join the Indonesia elections. And my people almost 5,000 people elect me as a president of West Papua. They don't need to join the election because our sovereign state, Indonesia, stolen from us since 1963 until today. After they stolen, they killed 500,000 men and women being killed. It's just genocide. So why we want to participate? That's why I, myself and Edison Waromi, a prime minister of uh, elected, newly elected. We both uh, stand together to boycott Indonesia election because we never part of Indonesia geographically, ethnically, culturally. We are not never been part of Indonesia. Indonesia are coming to stolen our sovereignty state. So 
we already reclaim our sovereign state in 2020, and we declare our provincial government of West Papua. We have a green state vision. We have uh, um, uh, constitutions, and we have a structure in place according to the Montevideo. So I think we're ready to govern ourselves. That's why we are declared a boycott of Indonesia election. But Benny, wouldn't it be better though if West Papuans could sort of have a say in their future by voting for a presidential candidate that they think will do better by them? Every president West Papua has uh, been participated last, uh, you know, 40 years and those give their voice to the Jakarta. For example, President Jokowi, 2014, uh, they elected uh, majority in West Papua involved. Even I said no. And uh, because they think the President Jokowi, Jokowi Dodo, will bring the peace and justice and freedom, but actually it's not. More killing, imprisonment, last uh, uh, five years, you may see 60,000 to 100,000 are displaced. Almost 500 people were, were die, mostly the children and women, and now still hiding in the bush. And we also still mourning and because Governor Lucas and Ember was poisoned, the Indonesia killed. This is 20 years served. Uh, so in the eye of Indonesia, West Papua as a subhuman. So that's why we. Uh, this is the most important uh, for my people to understand about why we participate, why they're killing us. Um, so that's why we are declared. Mm. So in your view... How significant then will the outcome of this election be for West Papua? I mean, does it really matter who gets elected? I think that's matter because is you know this president uh, candidates the the president they want to more implement the uh, uh, you know all uh, constitutions and uh, for example uh, one of the candidates he want to restore what the the Suharto legacy, for example, and the other candidate, they want to restore the uh, uh, West Papua, uh, uh, not West Papua, they want to restore the, all the constitution that uh, from Sorong to uh, Sama, uh, Sorong to Papua is is a sovereign state of West Papua, they, uh, sovereign state of Indonesia, they want to restore the, the military uh, power. So when you hear this um, uh, news, it's scared for, for my people. So we are not safe with Indonesia next 50 years, next 20 years. We are not safe. We've been uh, killing, more killing than the before. So that's why I'm mostly uh, hoping the Pacific leader to take this issues, ownership of this issue, because this is your closer neighbor. For example, uh, now, uh, if they ignored and killing is continued, so that's why we are not safe with Indonesia. We are now trying to uh, lobby for Pacific Island Forum and MSD leader to grant us for full membership and observer is M- uh, Pacific Island Forum. That's the safer route to go, not with Indonesia. And with that, what you just said, has but has any Pacific leaders uh, shown any support uh, uh, for your team? Yes. 2019 uh, meeting in uh, Tuvalu, they already agree and support the UNI Commission visit. And 
that is why it's important. And the recent meeting also, the Pacific leader, Melanesian leader, give uh, mandate to Prime Minister of uh, uh, Prime Minister Abuka and uh, Marape to engage with Indonesia to find the solutions and also uh, request UNI Commission visit and Indonesia reluctant. So this is uh, important the Pacific leader to take on this issue very seriously. And we know that there is a war going on in the Palestine, Israel, and also Ukraine. But this is happening 50 years. The war is still continuing in West Papua. And so that's why I'm, uh, you know, uh, remind the Pacific leader that this is your brother, direct brother, uh, suffering under Indonesian colonialism. So this is why seriously idea I asking the Indonesian the Pacific leader to seriously take on this issue very seriously. Otherwise, West Papua will, you know, leave their just name and this Melanesian the Pacific brother sister are watching from yeah. distance. Thank you for that. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with the President of the United Liberation Movement for West Papua, Benny Wenda, on the upcoming elections. Uh, before we just get to the UN visit, I, I want to ask, there is a front runner, though, in the polls, uh, Praboa Subianto, again, former son-in-law of the late dictator Suharto, uh, and I know you're well aware, accused of human rights violations there in West Papua. What would it mean for West Papua if he became president? This is more worse. Worse, he is wanted man by United Nations, uh, and uh, because his involvement in uh, his Timu case, also his 1980s, he will also involve uh, killing of West Papuans. Many West Papua are killed under his leadership. He's a general. He's a capacious special force uh, commander, and he's involved uh, uh, operation in West Papua. So we are not, uh, you know, optimistic. That's why we we not trust any Indonesian uh, president. You know, last, you know, seven president. Uh, uh, as as I mentioned, we are not trust even Prabowo. Prabowo is a wanted man by United Nations. Is involving East Timor and West Papua. He's a criminal. He's a war crime. So why they is now coming back and, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard for West Papua to trust this kind of people. And even every president last uh, 40 years, last 20 years, every president uh, we West Papua not trust. Yeah, and I understand that one of your key demands uh, for the party is that the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights uh, is to be allowed to visit West Papua. Do you think that UN visit will happen anytime soon? How hopeful are you? I really hope and optimistic because Pacific leader are still asking and uh, he's still demanding. In fact, that we will uh, launching UNI Commissioner visit in uh, you know European Parliament at twenty second of January in uh, European Parliament. That same demand, they, they, all the parliamentarian. Uh, international parliamentarians for West Papua, we're launching, uh, you know, echo what the Pacific Island uh, leaders are called for UNI Commission visit. I think this is almost 85 countries, including Britain and uh, uh, Spain and Netherlands, even Netherlands, a former colony, uh, 50 years, they don't really support West Papua, but first time they come out and vote in the parliament. So 
I really hope that if Pacific leader more put pressure on Indonesia government to allow, uh, if Indonesia claim that they are a democratic country, then they should allow UNI Commission visit because this is very important. Absolutely. Uh, Benny, look, I know we need to wrap up, but I understand. I've, I've read uh, quite a few reports and uh, posts that you have been saying your words are, we are reclaiming the sovereignty that was stolen from us in 1963. So final words today, what would a free West Papua mean to your people? Free West Papua means that, the, you know, West Papuan people will be first democratic country in the world. And also we have a green state vision. This is our dream. So because this is the part of that we are bringing the solution the world are facing and current, you know, including climate issue, issue and least sea level rising. So West Papua is a third large uh, rainforest and I call it lung of the world. When West Papua is free, this is the free pro, freedom means that bring the peace and harmony, particularly in the regions. So West Papua is uh, more resources. And uh, that's why the world have been ignored us because they want greedy with our of our resources. But when West Papua independent, we will share uh, even Indonesian people, even close neighbor, we will share and will be democratic country in the world first time. We appreciate your time this morning, Benny. Uh, thank you again for giving us some insight and we just wish you well for the upcoming elections. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. No worries. <laughs> that is the President of the United Liberation Movement for West Papua, Benny Wender. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. Now, for any of our stories, please head to abc.net.au forward slash Pacific. You can also hear us again this afternoon at 3pm PNG time. But I'll be back at the same time tomorrow. That's 6am PNG time. Stay tuned to ABC Radio Australia because news is up next. And coming up after that, it's Nita Daily. Until next time, I'm Aggie Dubol and you've been tuning into Pacific Beat. Pacific Beat.